and welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. In the show today, Jimmy and I are rounding up, reliving, and recapping the most recent live show from Falling Star Wrestling. We were live for the go-home show for Eye of the Tiger, tempers were flaring and blood was boiling, and we accomplished a lot last Saturday night in the run-up to Lin Sports. Hello once again, I'm your host for the show today. My name is Patrick Vincent Crown, one half of the Disaster Artist, one eighth of the Tag Team TLC match at Lin Sport, but... You can call me PVC. On the line is the other half of TDA and another eighth of the TLC match, my friend, podcast host, and tag team partner, the legendary Jimmy Starr. Linspore is just days away, and if you're listening to this episode on release date, or at least before the 22nd, then you still have time to get your tickets for Eye of the Tiger. Doors open at 7pm, and you can get your tickets from the Linsport box office or booking them online via our Skiddle link. All of the gold is on the line at Eye of the Tiger. We have Furio versus Johnny Storm for the Limitless title. There's the aforementioned Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Tables, Ladders and Chairs match for the Tag Team titles. And then the main event for the Falling Star Wrestling Championship. Kelly Gray takes on Matt Walters for the biggest prize in Falling Star Wrestling. Do not sleep on this one. But before we get to Eye of the Tiger on the 22nd, let's jump into today's episode running down the go-home show at Westlin this past Saturday. So, Jimmy, we were back this past Saturday for Falling Star Wrestling presents the go-home show for Eye of the Tiger. We were back at the Westland Sports and Social Club in Kings Lynn, and we had six matches. Quite a lot to talk about today in anticipation for our Lynn Sport extravaganza on the 22nd of October, Eye of the Tiger. Jimmy Starr, how are you, sir? I'm very well, mate. I'm very well. I'm obviously excited slash nervous slash scared about Saturday. I want the match to go well. If Well, I want the show to go well for a variety of reasons. One, obviously, it's a business, so we need the people there. Hopefully, we've done enough promotion for a big crowd to turn up. The ticket sales are looking pretty good, but we, we want this to be the biggest Fallen Star Wrestling show ever. Just want as many people as possible to attend it's not just our match we're going to have six matches on the card and for everyone's sake i want them to have a good showing i want the show to have a good story a good flow to it i mean there's just a lot of things that that are going through my mind this week it's a very busy week already you know trying to sort out bits and bobs for the show and a few last minute promotional type things but it's not just me who's involved there's so many people helping out and so many people doing various different things. And at the end of the show, I'll thank everyone and thank everyone on, on our sort of private academy page and stuff like that. But I just want it to go well for everyone's sake, for the crowds, for the wrestlers, and just for the sport of wrestling. Because we, at the end of the day, we, we're entertainers, we're wrestlers. This is what we were put on this earth to do. And we want to be able to go out there and give it our all for the the Kings in Faithful and for people who are just coming out to, to have a really good night out. And I just hope we give it to them in, in spades. We haven't failed with Linsport. We've always had good Linsport shows, but there's always that potential that you could. This is a business. This is a gamble. And some gambles you win, some gambles you lose. And I don't want our luck to run out. I just want this to be a really great night for everyone. And either Tiger... There's no reason it shouldn't be the best Fallen Star Wrestling show ever. We've got so many amazing matches planned. And obviously, last Saturday at the uh, go-home show at Westland, we had some some great matches too, which we'll go through. But um, I just want to talk a little bit about the before the show, because 
obviously it's always cool to give the fans a little bit of sort of a backstage or pre-show sort of preamble and a bit of a chat about what goes into a show. Now, normally what we do with FSW shows, especially wrestling, is we get to the venue early, we set up the ring and we train. And then after we train, we start getting set up for the show, putting up the chairs, doing the music, sorting the lights, et cetera, et cetera, all that sort of bollocks. Um, and we put the card together. So there was a few matches that needed to happen on Saturday's show to lead up to the Eye of the Tiger show. You know, there's a few matches that that weren't 100% set, but I knew that they were going to be on the Eye of the Tiger show, so they needed to have some time on the Westlin show so that they could get over and, and get set up as a match and actually have some time. I mean, the tag team division with this TLC match, we've set up our match. It's been a year in the making. It's been a very, very long storyline, and we're good to go. We set it up a couple of Westlands back. So it's, it's there. There's some matches, you know, Callie and Matt, that's sort of there. That needed a little bit of work. Jane and Jack needed a lot of focus on the Westland show because even though Craig turned at Watlington, the match between him and Jack wasn't set. It was in the pipeline and we were speaking about it, but it wasn't set as a match. Also, Alex Miller and Sean Stone needed to happen because they're, they're this show was their payoff they had their sort of their trilogy of matches and this was a third in their trilogy so this was a payoff for their match that needed to happen and also so we felt that Callie needed to have just and a match just needed a little bit more just needed a little bit more of a promo needed just a little bit more sort of story just a cap on the story just to say right this is definitely happening this is why it's happening and this is what this match is about. So there needed to be some promos there. But you can't have a show full of promos because it's fucking boring. And it goes into WCW mode where nothing makes sense anymore. And we needed some matches that were, that were going to make sense for, for Saturday or at least have some finishes that made sense for Saturday. But you don't want too many DQs and you want a few clean pins and you want to get some of the trainees on the show because you know they're not going to be on Lin Sport because they're not quite ready yet, and blah, blah, blah. So what I'm saying is, is what a fucking nightmare of a card to put together. I mean, you were sat there, and so was Crowley. We were sat there fucking racking our brains, thinking, shit, like, how are we going to make this work? And watching the show, I'm actually really impressed with how it turned out, but fuck me, that was a fucking head and ball scratcher trying to work that faster that wasn't it <laughs> it certainly was we sort of have this habit of of booking ourselves into a corner a little bit sometimes because we've we've tried to increase the amount of stories we've tried to increase the amount of people that we have on the shows we're trying to make it as flowing and as energetic as an, and as entertaining as possible sometimes that's very difficult to kind of put all these pieces in the right places it's, it's like playing chess or it's, it's this kind of puzzle that you have to put together and this one was especially difficult because we have Eye of the Tiger looming. It was just seven days away. We've got lots of things to service. We've got people that need momentum. We've got people that need to be featured. Like you said, we've got storylines that we need to cap off. And it was very, very difficult. But you had, a, you had a few ideas in there. And then we just had a list of names. And I think we probably came up with maybe two, three, four, five different versions of what the card could have been. There might have been a main event between two guys, which would have led on to something else. Or there could have been a tag team match. Or there might have been eight-man tag team match which it did end up being there were ideas of throwing around three ways four ways we're gonna have the limitless title maybe on last and then this and then this and then when it all came down to it we were like let's pair it back a little bit we need this 
to happen. We need this to happen and this to happen. And then everything else just kind of fell into place, thankfully. But it was a little bit like a brain trust of people coming together because there was ideas coming from from each and everywhere. Like you said, myself, yourself. We had Crowley there putting in some ideas as well. Other people popping over going, how about this? Or how about this? Or I think this would be a good idea. And then sometimes you have too many ideas and that can always be a bad thing. But I think we got it right in the end. And I had a pretty good time with the show. And I think you did too, right, Jim? Yeah, it was fun, man. It was good fun. And it was really fun fun to sit back and watch it on, on the camera as well because I could see the crowd enjoyed it. And also, I was really impressed with the, how many people turned up at the show because obviously it was the same day as Fight Mare. Now, I know Fight Mare is sort of 60 miles up the road, but still, it was a really big show with some really big names on if, you, if you're a wrestling fan. But still, our local fans came and packed out West Lynn. I don't know, it's a small hall, but... With around about you know hundred people there, I was I was really impressed. So it obviously just goes to show that there are people who are exceptionally interested in 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 what we're doing, which I'm really pleased about. You know, yeah, for sure. Like we we must be doing something good. We're cooking on gas at the moment. Everything is firing on all cylinders. Whether it be the wrestlers, whether it be the the promos, whether it be the characters, and of course we have to say about like the social media, the stuff that Matt's doing right now. Um, Matt Harrison, he's doing some incredible work on social media right now. Some of the videos he's churning out, some of the posters and stuff, and you know the little media team that we got behind sort of falling star wrestling on Facebook and Instagram and stuff is, is really helping that as well. So when you mentioned that you, you thought that Westlin would probably be a bit lacking in people, I was actually sort of quietly confident because yeah, like you say, fight mail was, was a little way away. It's more of a big show, but I think people just like to come along to Westlin. We've got our own kind of little hardcore fan base that, that don't like to, to miss any shows. And I think it would have been a shame for those guys to go over and, and watch a company that they're probably not really, super familiar with they might want to watch you know the Matt Cardona's and the Hernandez's and, and the pages and stuff but actually maybe they were more interested in seeing the trilogy and, and finishing off the the trio of matches between Sean Stone and Alex Miller seeing what's going to happen between Matt and Callie you know the tag team division and all these people within Falling Star Wrestling because it, it's there it's, like it's their own little slice of wrestling goodness within sort of West Norfolk isn't it yeah definitely yeah it's a territory we're carving out a territory we're carving out an area and that's the thing, you know, we've got our venues that we do, which are all within a sort of, you know, 15, 20, 30 mile radius of of, of Linsport. Then that big show is in Linsport, which is the nucleus of, of what we do. We've, we've gone old school, did what the territory system used to do. And that is, you know, work your way around, around a, a, a certain area, a certain county, and then have your big show in sort of the centre of your territory and, and hope it draws people from all the other little shows that you've been doing. That's the sort of idea of a territory. And, and that's, we got ourselves a little falling star territory, which I'm really pleased and proud of. And it's not something that's easy to set up, you know? Well, it's taken us 10 years to get there, hasn't it? But um, shall we move on to the uh, the show in hand, Jimmy Westlin? Yes, go for it. Okie dokie. So we opened up the Westland Sports and Social Club with match number one. We had all pro Sean Stone. He was flanked with his personal referee, Samuel Bloody Wakefield, and he went up against Alex Miller. We prefaced that in the intro there. These guys have had two matches so far. This will be the third out of the trilogy. Third and final bout between Sean Stone and Alex Miller. Stone again flanked by his personal referee. There was also another referee on standby. We were led to believe that Andy Stone, and yes, he is a relation to Sean Stone, is still a ref in training and he was sitting ringside and he was shown how it was done by the 
quote-unquote fair and impartial Samuel Wakefield. Alex Miller makes his way to the ring. He gets a massive applause. And as soon as he kind of went out there, he was on the offense, getting shot after shot after shot on Stone in the corner. And at this stage, the bell hadn't rung. That was quite an important part of it. And the match technically wasn't underway. Every time Miller got the uh, offense in and got the upper hand, Wakefield was there to pull him back, really showing that he wasn't going to be, you know, an unbiased referee. But that didn't stop the plucky underdog Alex Miller. Wakefield gets involved more and more times until Alex Miller threatens to punch the referee. And the referee goes, no, 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 you can't punch me. Ring the bell, ring the bell. I thought that was that was pretty genius, actually. And then as soon as Alex Miller is slightly distracted, Stone gets a few shots in there. And each time Wakefield administers the count, he's, he's telling Andy Stone on the outside, this is what you got to do. So he'll go down for the pinfall, one, two, and then he'll turn to Andy Stone. He'll say, this is this is how you referee. Obviously, Samuel Bloody Wakefield is, is not a great referee. We, we know that. We've seen that time and time again. But he's just got this arrogance, this air about him that he thinks he's the best and he wants to show Andy Stone what he can do. But we know what Andy Stone can do because he ref the rest of the show very, very competently. Back to the match. Miller soon gets the momentum on the outside. He runs Stone into the post, lights his chest on the outside. The audience are absolutely loving it, chanting one more time, one more time. Stone soon takes advantage of a distracted Miller. As he was getting into the ring, he kicks the ropes up into his groin and Stone begins the heat after taking some beating. Alex Miller makes a comeback. He gets up to the top robe. He's looking for his second rope drop kick. This is blocked by Wakefield again. So Stone recovers enough to take the advantage and delivers a thunderous powerbomb, but it's not enough to keep Miller down. The crowd are really, really behind Alex Miller. They don't want to see him lose for a third time. The dastardly Sean Stone continues to punish Alex Miller with strikes, throws, and he finally hoists Miller up for a finishing maneuver. But in the motion, Alex Miller's feet catch the referee Samuel Bloody Wakefield in the face, and he hits the canvas like a sack of potatoes. And the audience are going absolutely wild for this. I was loving this. It was great. Alex Miller quickly wraps Sean Stone up in a small package. The referee from the outside, we mentioned him earlier, Andy Stone, he slides into the ring. One, two, it's just a two count stop. Stone gets absolutely furious with his young boy. He reprimands him, but in the distraction, Alex Miller lands a cracking Famouser and gets the one, two, three to a rupturous applause. Miller finally overcomes the team of Stone and Wakefield. And I actually really like this match. I thought it was a really good way to open the show, actually. I was a little bit skeptical having this kind of feud end in the opening contest, but I think the boys laid out a really good match, actually. Story-wise, it, it hit better than the action in the ring, like the story was better than the wrestling but you know in falling star wrestling we're all about the stories and stuff like that there were a few moments throughout the match where i thought mm, i'm not so sure about this during the heat and then they went into a sleep leap situation it fell out of place but other than that i thought all the moves the psychology was correct it just maybe thought they put the spots in the wrong order but you know no matter what you say about this the the audience were just waiting for stone and wakefield to fumble and for alex miller to get that much needed wing to end this saga um now, it wasn't announced in the show, but I've seen this on social media. I've seen some rumblings. Samuel Wakefield isn't very happy and is potentially giving up his referee game. So I don't know whether he's just going to be going back to Sean Stone's manager or just refereeing here, there and everywhere. But all in all, I'm happy for all parties involved. I thought this was their most well thought out of their three matches. This match got a really, really massive pop. Well, several massive pops, all in the right spots. And it was probably the best executed of all three matches as well. Both Miller and Stone, with time, will go on to do bigger and better things. And I think this series of matches has really helped them develop as wrestlers, as characters, and as storytellers. And that's what Wesleyan Sports and Social Club is all about, especially with the trainees, isn't it, Jim? 
Yeah, it's about trying out new things. And all three of the guys that were involved, all four, if you count the referee, Shane's boy, it was their first attempt at telling a story and a a multi-show story where they've got to leave people hanging and keep the story going and keep people interested. And that's not easy. That's not an easy task to do. For their first attempt at it, I think they did amazingly well. I echo what what the sentiments that, that you gave about the match and some of the the things that, that potentially could could be improved. I think for me, I'm always more focused on the story and the story element. They got a cracking pop at the end, so that meant that the crowd understood what was going on, and at the very least, they understood that Alex Miller had been shafted for the past three shows, and he finally got a win. I don't know if they understood it to the level that the 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 three of them might perceive or want them to, but they understood it enough which is great because you can totally fuck a story up extremely easily by making one wrong wrong move i think that that this was like you said the best outing for all three of them i gave them a few tips before they went in but it's all about with with all three of them it's all about just making things bigger and for samuel bloody wakefield as well who's such a key part of the match he's really sort of funny quite animated guy backstage when you talk to him and then when he gets in the ring he'll he'll sort of freeze a little bit but if he could just whack that character that he's actually got in real life up to 10 that'd be such an amazingly funny annoying grotesque character that you wouldn't be able to do anything but laugh with him and 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 laugh at him and also and also hate him and i think that that's what they want but he just needs to be louder it was good that when i was watching the match on the camera I could hear what he was saying. But, you know, if that was me in there, I'd be making such a big deal out of everything, you know, that there wouldn't be any sort of, you know, standing around or whatever. I would be constantly on the game. And every time Alex pinned Sean, even though if I was forced to count it, the look of worry in my eyes and the look of relief when he kicks out would convey how invested I was in Sean winning. And then when... In the end, when the referee comes in and, and Sean Sun comes in and does this bit, which again, we, we spoke about this, and there's no need to really go over it because we spoke backstage about it. But if they'd have just, if they'd have milked Sean's boy coming in a little bit more, you know, or at all, it would have got the referee over and Alex over. As it stood, the match just got Alex over, which is great. And, you know, it, it didn't cost anything for Sean losing, didn't cost any sats, you know, got Sam a little bit more heat. But, that it was their first storyline that they executed really well. If it was three sort of like fifteen year veterans in there, they would have got they would have got more out of it. But that's three fifteen year veterans. Here we're talking about guys who have had under fifty matches probably, and they're putting together a fairly complex storyline with promos and whatever, and also having to have matches and think of different and cool ways to to make it work. You know, and and they did. And that was shown by the pop they got at the end. And I think that Sean was really pleased with, with the pop. Sam was really pleased that Alex got the pop. And obviously Alex was really pleased. And I was really pleased for him as well because it, it showed that the crowd got 70% of what they were, what they were trying to chuck at them. But it's the little, the, the subtle nuances. Well, I say the subtle nuances, you, everything's big in wrestling, but there's still there's still nuances that you have to perform when you're in that ring. And you just 
just little looks and or big looks and body language and body motion, no wasted movement, that kind of thing, that kind of logic to being able to tell a story. There were some bits missing from that, but I expected that. And I don't think that they could have, at this stage in their careers, all three of them, I or, or all four of them, because anyone who gets in the ring is part of the story. I don't think any of them could have pulled the match off any better at this stage of their career. If they'd have done it in about 10 years' time, obviously they'd be more experienced. So they'd be able to do those nuances that I'm talking about. But for where they are, it was great. And it was a good opener and it got the crowd going and it kept the crowd lively for the rest of the night, which is which which was good. And that's what first matches are meant to do. There's a really good guy. There was a really bad guy. And there was a really corrupt referee. That's cool enough. That works. And the really good guy finally won. And it got that pop and it made everyone happy, which is what, you know, the first match is about. That's the sort of idea of the first match. It's the second most important match on the card. And they filled their duty and their obligation. And and I'm, I'm really proud of them and pleased with all, all, all of them for, for being able to do that. Yeah, they absolutely nailed it. Then we went into match number two. MC Danny Fear sets the stage for the next bout. He recants the story from Watlington and gets the fans up to date with the Jack and Jaden saga. And before I get into the match, I have to put in a special word for Danny Fear because I think he's really starting to come into his role as MC. I think week after week you can see and hear massive improvements from him. And, you know, much like Miller and Stone, you can see the confidence really starting to grow. So uh, good job, Danny. Anyways, uh, Jack cuts a promo before the second second match and tells the audience he's dressed for a fight and calls out Jaden Scar and he calls him out for stabbing him in, in his back two weeks ago at Watlington. Danny Fear tells the audience that Jaden Scar isn't in the building tonight so Jack issues an open challenge to anyone in the back and out comes JJ King to accept. Jack and JJ show each other some respect and shake hands before the match. Jack showing that his issues are with Jaden and not with JJ. The boys calm down the audience a little bit from wanting Jaden's blood and take the match to the mat for a nice bit of back and forth chain wrestling. Jack's managing to wrap JJ up in many different moves and almost getting the win early over Mr. King. Jack stretches out JJ once more, but the uber flexible King of Kings lands Lander with a series of open hand slaps to the face. And it almost seems as if Jack likes it. Both men get up, Jack and JJ. They they nail each other with knees to the gut and the, the back and forth as well. Jack then proves why he's spring-heeled and he nails JJ with a running shooting star press. But it's not enough to keep JJ down for the three count. Jack retains some heat on JJ but goes to the well one too many times. He attempts a headbutt to the midsection of JJ. But King grabs the head and, and nails Landers with a giant fisherman suplex. But he was only able to get the two count. I thought that looked really good, really effective. But JJ King isn't able to keep the momentum. He misses a knee in the corner and Jack comes off the rope with a thunderous lariat. And that spelled the end for JJ. Jack grabs him in his pump handle driver, puts him into the canvas. And that's all she wrote for JJ King. And after catching his breath, Jack grabs the stick again and thanks JJ for the warm up match and issues a challenge to Jaden Scar at Lynn Sport. I thought this was a really cool match. It was very different. It was a different Jack Landers match as well. I thought this was probably maybe JJ's best outing since he started working matches in Falling Star Wrestling and I thought it did what a second match needed to do. We mentioned it there the first match really brought the crowd into it with that big pop.
top, all story, all character. And then this one was more about just competition, but we got a little bit of a storyline kind of boiling in the background. Uh, Jimmy Starr, what are your thoughts on this match, mate? I thought it was good too. I like the fact that they actually wrestled. Do you know what I mean? They did some they did some wrestling at the start. They got in there and they just grappled. And JJ King and Jack don't have any issue. The point of the story was obviously that Jack came out, challenged Jaden. Jaden wasn't in the building at that point. So JJ sort of thought, well, I'm going to come out and take my opportunity. The guy's got some balls to do that against Jack, Jack Landers, blah, blah, blah. There was no heat, no animosity, just competition. And going into the match, you knew that JJ was on a bit of a loser in the sense that he's facing one of probably one of the finest athletes in British wrestling today. You know, but the, the, the cool thing was, like you said, second match, they wrestled. Brought the crowd down a little bit, did some wrestling. And I've always said to all my trainees, ever since they've ever started, and you know, I would have told Jack this and I've told JJ this, you know, sometimes people actually want to see a bit of wrestling on a wrestling show. And they got some. They traded holds for the first sort of three or four minutes. It was still training holds. JJ showing that he's quite competent as a wrestler too. Jack obviously sort of taking a, a fair a fair majority of it, but they were trading holds. And building up to something, building up to shooting star press, um, the the fisherman suplex, you know, Jack's pump handle uh, driver type thing. It was all building up to stuff. And by the time Jack got his win, the crowd expected it, but they were pleased to see it. It's the point of this show, a go home show is you can't give the crowd everything that they want to see, because if we give them everything that they want to see, what's the point of them coming to Lynn Sport? That's why there was a lot of, multi-man matches matches where you sort of think to yourself well why is that guy wrestling that guy you know and we've all seen like raw raw and smackdowns before a pay-per-view there's a lot of these multi-man matches and there's a lot of the main guys who are on the show cutting promos to to set up for the event but what saturday was and what it had to be was an advertisement a taster a little taster for what you're going to see eye of the tiger while still putting on a good show that makes sense, it's still a fucking appetizer. It's a starter for Eye of the Tiger. And these kind of matches are perfect for this kind of show. And you're right. It was JJ's best outing. Jack worked with him well, worked at JJ's ability level and his ability level for the amount of time he's been training is, is still fucking superb but Jack's been a wrestler now for, for the best part of 10 years and he started training as fucking as a baby virtually so he is grown up a wrestler he is he pretty much he's been involved in professional wrestling and shows by the way he moves and the little things he does and just the sheer athletic nature of the man and he's working hard on his body and on his look he gets it. He gets the job. And I think it benefited JJ working him. And it was good. I think the only thing, there's, there was a promo cut at the beginning of, of this match, wasn't there? Yeah, um, yeah. Or was that yeah, a little was, bit yeah. later on? Yeah. Just I think with a lot of the promos on the show, and this isn't just Jack, a lot of the promos are on the show, some of the guys have just got to be a little bit aware of their mic work, you know. speak If you're speaking loud and you're speak, being angry, you can do that, but it has to be slow and it has to, you can't be eating the microphone. You can't have it like in your gob. You can't be giving the microphone a blowjob when you're speaking to it. You need to have the microphone a little bit of a distance from your mouth. Speak slowly, clear and consistently and you can st- get your point across. Because if you're shouting in that fucking microphone, no matter how good the microphone is and how good the speakers are, 
And those microphones are good. Our speakers ain't great, but it doesn't make you could have the best speakers in the world. You still can't understand what that person's saying because they're not finishing off their words. They're not enunciating. They're not projecting. They're just shouting. And not only are they shouting, they've got the microphone so close to their fucking face that the shouting that they're doing is pretty much illegible. The crowd are sort of hearing, Jane and Scar. And like, you know, they'll hear the name and they'll fucking boo. And then, Linsport, hey, you can shout, but you have to enunciate what you're saying so the crowd can hear. Do you know what I mean? And keep the microphone a nice distance from your face so that it doesn't cut out or just doesn't turn into a fucking Cradle of Filth concert, you know? <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, it got a little bit metal towards the end. I think we were in the back talking, uh, getting ready for our match. And we was like, wow, it's getting, it's getting a little bit, 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 bit death metal out there where we had Jack screaming and then Cali cut a promo at the end and he was screaming as well. It's like, and I know why these guys are doing it because they're getting excited, they're getting amped up. They're trying to really inject some, some passion, some excitement, some just some love into these promos. And sometimes it can get a, get ahead of yourself like I do it on the podcast when I'm getting excited I seem to talk too quickly and my mouth goes too fast and my brain can't catch up and then I just get all flustered and flumbled and, and, and whatnot and you just have to take a breath take a step back and just uh, think about what you're going to say and say it properly and these well, guys what, what will you get need, it what, what you need to do Sean is stop masturbating during the program <laughs> during the podcast you just you, you see if, what you don't know ladies and gentlemen is he's wanking so frantically as he's talking that he just can't he just loses where he's at loses the plot he's not like me a, you know a thespian shakespearean actor who projects his voice and has trod the boards do you know what i mean this like he's just he's constantly wanking every time he gets excited i know what you're doing sean i can see you I can't is, actually, but... Is my know, webcam on? Oh, God, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Also, Jim, my mum listens to this. Can we not? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sean has never masturbated his entire life. He has never even thought about touching his penis. He is almost ultra-Catholic in that kind of area. So, no, that's me joking. There's no masturbation going on whilst recording this podcast. Before, during, or after, from well, from Sean at least. <laughs> Nailed it. Thank you very much for that, Jim. Any final thoughts on uh, Jack versus JJ? No, it was good. I liked it. Good second match. Pleased with it. Again, just just with the promo, the words are great, but if you can't hear them, tighten them up, shorten them up. Whether this is any help to anyone, when I think of a promo, I very rarely think of what I'm going to say. The only thing I think of is a wrap-up line. And I, I, it's just just a line to end end the promo, and when that promo is come to an end, and I've made the point, I'll try and remember, or at least half remember that wrap up line to be able to go right. You know, that's it done. So you know, it stops you then from going on and on and on. Do you know what I mean? Because you you've got your full stop there ready and prepared. Excellent stuff. So we went into match number three. We had a tag team match. We had the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Norfolk Legion of Pain, Crowley and Mitch Basher versus the unlikely duo of Tommy Lawrence and Ollie Cole. And as much as they probably don't want it, and, you know, it appeared apparent tonight 
They weren't seeking applause, but the NLP seemed to have earned a little bit of respect and admiration from the fans of Falling Star Wrestling. As loud as they shout and as, as dastardly as they wrestle, they're still loved by the Falling Star Wrestling faithful. The NLP even start the contest by trying to sneak attack on the uh, high-flying pair of Cole and Lawrence, but the pair are just uh, you know as quick as a hiccup and evade every attack by the tag team champions. The NLP whipped into each other and it's followed by an assisted sliced bread by Cole and Lawrence. Tommy quickly follows this up with a dropkick to Crowley and the tandem handspring by the unlikely duo of Tommy and Ollie. The Wiley Vets powder out of the ring and uh, soon take advantage of the youthful exuberance. Tommy Lawrence is decked on the outside by Basher who is not messing around tonight. Cole is left alone in the ring and Basher asserts his physical dominance on the youngster, nailing him with a giant clothesline. Poor Ollie is now being taken advantage of by the NLP with Basher and Crowley brutalizing him in the ring, really showing why they are currently the best tag team in Falling Star Wrestling. Behind the ref's back, the NLP deliver strikes and slams and even their trademark assisted splash with the running knee. Poor Ollie, he looks almost dead at this point. His partner's on the sidelines and he can only watch as this happens. Crowley crashes Ollie with a humongous wheelbarrow throw, but on the second attempt, Cole manages to reverse this into a bulldog. Then he scratches and crawls his way to his partner, and Tommy Lawrence comes in like a house on fire. Clotheslines, super kicks, and even a sling blade, but that's not enough to put Mitch Basher away as Lawrence continues to handle Basher and nails a superb looking split legged moonsault. Looked amazing. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, the inexperience of Cole and Lawrence really shows here when the beaten down Ollie Cole is then tagged back into the match and the uh, the pair of Lawrence and Cole try to line Basher up for a super kick, but Basher evades and Cole drills his tag team partner in the face and this, uh, this unfortunately spelled disaster for Ollie and Tommy and uh, Tommy's taken out of the ring, Ollie's left and he succumbs to the power of the dirty double from the NLP sister Abigail with the assisted knee shiver from Crowley. The NLP, you know, take their tag team belt and they leave but boys don't forget to bring those to Linsport because they're going to be hanging 20 feet above the ring for Falling Star Wrestling's first ever TLC match can the NLP walk out of Linsport with their gold going back to the match for a little bit I thought this was a really well put together match. It hit all the story beats that a match like this needed to and it set out what it achieved the NLP needed to go over strong and show dominance over a smaller, quicker and less experienced team like Ollie and Tommy. But they didn't swallow the high flyers. They gave them enough to keep them alive and give the crowd hope. I mean, did the audience really think that this kind of thrown together team would defeat the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Champions? Not really. But they gave the fans enough to chew on throughout the match. And that was all that was needed in this match. Like as all four men came back through the locker room, they all sort of had smiles on their faces and said how fun and easy the match was, and I watched it back on tape. It, it kind of it came it came across that way. I, I do feel a little bit for Tommy and Ollie being like the sacrificial lambs to the slaughter, but you know they had a job, no pun intended, and and they nailed it. You know, for Ollie, this is only going to add to his growing list of great matches he's he's been involved in, especially in his early stages of his career. And you know he had a lot of great wrestlers to work off of, and now he can add Mitch Basher, Crowley, and Tommy Lawrence to his list. I thought this was a great little match to head into the interval. Jimmy, over to you, sir. Yeah, I, th I thought it was really good as well. I think Tommy and Ollie made a really good-looking team. I said to them backstage when they came back, I said, if you had matching gear, you'd look like... A, I mean, you'd fucking be a, like a really good-looking tag team. Do you know what I mean? Ultra baby faces. They're, all the fucking girls would love them. High flyers, exciting tag team. 
once Ollie sort of learned a little, learned more of Tommy and got up to his sort of level or got close to it, I think they could actually be a really good tag team. Whether it's something they want to do, I don't know. Something to chew on though, because you know they they performed well together. I'm so I'm so impressed with how Ollie is learning so quickly. It's just like a a sponge for wrestling, rather. He you know he takes in all the information that you give him, and he seems to he, he seems to sort of get it sort of first time, especially the actual wrestling part of it. He's very athletic. If anything, sometimes he's a bit too athletic and a bit too quick. That's one of the things in wrestling. Sometimes you have to slow down a bit. And, you know, Ollie's not really got that slow down button. But the selling that he showed in this match and the crowd interaction and stuff like that was, you know, someone who's been doing the job for sort of five years. So, you know, he really, really did a good job. And Tommy is just an amazing athlete. He looks good. The handsome bastard. They are a good babyface team. And the NLP is such that they're an amazing team. They work so well together. It's almost like they don't even need to talk to each other. They're almost psychically connected in terms of, of what they do. You know, they want to be bad guys, but unfortunately, boys, you're turning babyface now. You're turning into good guys. And I'll sort of explain a little bit about what I mean by that. You know, some of the crowd are booing, but a lot of the crowd like them. And how can you not like them? They're fucking kicking ass. And they work really well together. And they've been tag team champions for a year. So sometimes when you're a heel for so long and you do what you say you're going to do, in the end, people start to like you. And it's as, it's as simple as that. If you come out fucking saying that you're going to take people's heads off with baseball bats and you're going to kick ass and you enjoy doing it and you're going to hurt people and you're going to fucking slam them here and throw them there and fucking kick them in the balls and fucking punch them in the face and we like to fight blah 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 and you back up what you say people are going to start to like it in the end just no two ways about it and we've had some great fucking battles with the NLP they are such a good team difficult not to like them and putting them up against you know Tommy who's really popular and Ollie, who's who's green as goose shit, but he's still popular. They're not really going to get any heat by beating them up. But a great match, really well put together. No one really made any mistakes. Some good, some really good stuff. A great match to lead them, make them look strong, and lead them into the, our T- TLC match that, that's coming up at, at Eye of the Tiger this Saturday. Again, they gave enough of a taster of what the NLP are about. To, to excite the crowd and make them want more, which is great. And as a promoter, it's nice to be able to say to two people, this is sort of roughly what I want and this is who you're wrestling. Go and do it. And then I haven't got to worry about it because I know they're going to do it. That's really nice as a promoter to be able to to do that with people. That You know, some people, and that's not, there's nothing wrong with it. Some people really like to talk about their promos and, what they're going to say and what they're going to do and talk about the matches and ask for advice and stuff. And I, and I love that as well. I love people, the fact that the people want to talk over things and, and get, get other people's opinions and experience and stuff like that. And so they should, but NLP are at a point now where they're experienced enough. They know their teams. They know their gimmicks. All I have to do is say, you're doing this, this, and this, this is what I want to do. And this is the reason why. Can you please do it? 
and they'll add their own little bit in to make it better and it will work you know enjoyed it I, I sorry were you about to say something i was just gonna say just they're they're proper seasoned vets and they've got such a good great mind for for wrestling especially them two together they can come up with anything they can they can work their way out of any predicament and make themselves look good and also make their opponents look good which is a real talent in in wrestling isn't it yeah, exactly. And that is exactly what they did. They made Tommy and Ollie look good as well. They gave them a nice shine. Tommy got his cool little moonsault in. You know, Ollie got a few cool little moves in and stuff like that. You know, I, it made everyone look good. And, you know, I saw a potential team in Ollie and Tommy if they wanted to pursue it. Maybe in FSW for a bit, it'd be cool to have another, another, another team to wrestle. But still, that's up to them. But what I was going to say is, is like... You know, before that, they they really really want to still be bad guys, right? And I I understand why. You know, the gimmick is a it's more fun to be a bad guy as a professional wrestler, believe it or not. It's more fun to get booed than it's get cheered. But also, you know, the NLP have always been one of the most hated teams in in Fallen Star Wrestling, or the most hated team in Fallen Star Wrestling. No one's been able to touch them until the sound came along and Rashford came along. And because Rashford's so fucking irritating, people are starting to hate them a little, a little bit more, which means the NLP are starting to get some supporters. It's a bit like sort of the Steve Austin syndrome. There's only so long that you can be a bad guy, but if you back up what you say and do what you say you're going to do, in the end, the crowd are going to go, actually, these fuckers are tough. I like them. They might be mean and fucking cruel and they might tell us to shut up and fuck off and they might hit people with chairs and hit people with baseball bats, but that's fun to watch. And sort of what they wanted to do, and I knew they weren't going to have a bad match. That wasn't the issue. The match wasn't the issue. But what was the issue is that the NLP want to go back to being dead-eyed fucking soulless heels. Well, by taking someone like, Tommy and Ollie and having a match with them and not doing anything particularly dastardly and even just shouting and going ballistic, but doing some cool moves on them, fucking, you know, doing what the NLP do best and kicking their ass and blah, 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 and beating them, you know, just mobbing them and beating them. How's that gonna, that ain't gonna get them any heel heat, is it? Do you know what I mean? They have, if they want to go back to being heels, they have to do something fucking terrible, horrific. It ain't just a case of going and fucking just hot shotting something and beating someone up when their back's turned. Or we know the NLP do that. We know the NLP cheat when the ref's back's turned. We know the NLP hit people with fucking shit. We know the NLP fucking bash people with baseball bats and hit people with chairs and, and all that shit. We know they do that. They've been doing that for, for a long time now. And the fans like it. They're starting to like it. They're starting to come around to it. And it's, if you put the sound against the NLP, who's going to be the baby faces? Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things now where you've got to take one or two roads. You've either got to do something just fucking out of this world, fucking evil and unforgivable as a, as a heel within the confines of a wrestling show, obviously, and try and beat that door down and and go against the grain of, of, of what the crowd are doing. Or you can just slowly ingratiate yourself with the crowd and then become 
the, the baby faces that they want you to be. I mean, you, you, we're there to give the crowd what they want, but we also do control the crowd to a certain extent and take them on a journey. Having said that, though, if they rebel against it, what are you going to do? And I think they thought by giving some white meat baby faces a good kick in, that would do the trick. But no, it's only going to make it more popular. It's only going to make it more popular because, you know, Tommy and Ollie are great talents, but they were thrown together. They gave them some shit to do as well. It wasn't, a, you know, they didn't do anything particularly nasty to them. They beat their ass. They fucked them up. They got the win. They're still tag team champions. Everyone's a winner. And why would that make the NLP any more of a heel team? Do you get what I mean? So they're sort of stuck in a little bit of limbo at the moment where they got to decide how they're going to take their careers going forward, you know? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. When you compare the two kind of heel teams within Falling Star Wrestling, you compare the sound and then you compare them to the to the NLP. I'm, I'm just going to kind of reiterate a couple of points that you made there. But like when the NLP come out and they say they're the toughest tag team, they're the best tag team, they're the tag team champions, they're going to kick ass, take names and beat everyone up. They're doing exactly what they're going to say they're doing. Whereas the sound come out and say the same thing, but then they wriggle their way out of things and they, they moan and complain and bitch and, you know, and cheat and do all these underhanded tactics. And then the people go, actually, I absolutely hate them because the NLP, they're doing bad things. But that's kind of cool because everyone loves a villain, don't they? Everyone loves, the, you know, the, the Joker because he's so maniacal and he's crazy and stuff. But like, you don't like what he's doing. He's going around murdering and stealing and, and causing chaos and stuff. But then you like him because he is this kind of interesting villain and that's what the NLP are they're, they're very interesting villain they're backing up everything they say they're going out there they're they're proving their point whereas the sound they're just these maniacal sniveling little shits who just kind of laugh and cackle and and they and they bully people and then they're only into themselves whereas the NLP give you this show they give you entertainment and they give you chaos and brutality and you know, that's why people like MMA and boxing, because it's just people out there like beating the crap out of each other. And that's what the NLP do. They, they go out there, they say what they're going to do, and then they back it up. And yeah, I can see why people do like them. Yeah, it, it makes it makes total sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And with the NLP as well, they will fucking they, they do exactly what they, you know, say they're going to do. Whereas like you say, the sound, you've got one guy who's tough, Bobby Adams, but then you've got George Rashwood who says what he's going to do to people, fucking get someone else to do it, and then runs away when he's in peril. And that's a that's a heel that people can hate because that's a coward. No one likes a coward. But, you know, the NLP are tough, man. We, I mean, we can talk about it all day, but the NLP are tough. And at the end of the day, people do like tough wrestlers, you know. They like people who back up what they're going to say, and that is what the NLP have done for the past year. And... They may very well carry on doing it after Saturday. We'll see. So, you know, they just got to decide what they want to do and, and how they want to take it forward because people are starting to like them because, you know, we've got the sound now and we've got 100% 42 carat fucking coward. And no, people just hate that. They hate that more than anything. Rashford doesn't even really need to cheat. He just needs to be there and just say what he says in his smug way and then not back it up, get Bobby Adams to do all the work for him. And then it, it's just a ready-made package that's, that's more relatable and more hateable than two tough guys going out there fucking people up and doing what they say they're going to do. You know? 
Precisely, couldn't agree more. Then we went into the interval after match number three. We came back from the interval for match number four. As Danny Fear, the MC, is introducing the next match, we hear some music that we've not heard before. We then found out that this was the new music of Jaden Scar. Speaking about heels, Jaden comes to the ring and people jeer and they boo and they do the thumbs down and some people even walk out of the arena. He then makes his way into the ring and grabs the microphone and addresses Watlington and his actions at the event the audience ask him why but he doesn't care what they think and they need to respect the new and improved Jaden Scar he runs down his laundry list of accolades and then he turns his attention to Jack Landers he addresses Jack's parents and tells Jack to keep his name out of his mouth Jaden then proclaims he started next level and killed next level and is next level then offers a challenge out to any falling star wrestling academy member and then along comes robbie lewis robbie made his way to the ring but it seemed like he wasn't his usual self he was laser focused on the task at hand and i appreciate that this is a massive task that he has to undertake he's going up against a two-time former falling star wrestling champion and you can't take your eye off the game when it comes to to jaden scar before the uh, the ring bell jaden demands that robbie shakes his hand and seemingly this is going to start off fair but as Robbie's putting his jacket away in the corner Jaden sneak attacks him from behind and works on the big man shouting and spewing his arrogance all over the ring as he takes care of Lewis Robbie soon uses his power advantage and splashes Scar in the corner and follows it up with a couple of scoop slams the crowd chant one more time one more time and this is more like the Robbie we know and love Robbie doesn't follow this trio of slams with a cover but he instead tries for a discus lariat but the quickness of Jaden Scar proves super effective as Jaden ducks and hits Lewis with a chop block cutting down the big tree on the outside Jaden asks the fans to move and I love this part he begins to G them up he says get out of the way get out of the way he gives the oh but then as soon as they move he throws Robbie back into the ring and says you're all in the palm of my hand sit back down amazing stuff by Jaden Scar and that's what we're talking about that's the that's the thing that people hate you know the, the NLP aren't doing this is something that the sound would do and this is what Jaden Jaden's doing and it's working. He's getting this white hot heat. Jaden gets into the ring. He dances around while working on Robbie. He's taking down the big man at any opportunity. Jaden calls for the pedigree, but Robbie throws Scar over and winds up with a few right hands and a headbutt, followed by a massive running splash. The fans are really with Robbie at this point. They want to see him crush Jaden Scar. Again, he goes for the lariat. It's scouted by Scar and he's turned into a pedigree and Robbie's decimated. And the end is nice for Robbie Lewis. He slowly gets to his feet but Jaden stalks behind him and locks in a cross-faced chicken wing and Robbie has no option but to tap or to pass out. And uh, is this what is in store for Jack Landers at Linsport? After locking in the chicken wing again, Jack comes down to attack Jaden Scar. Jack lays in the shots but is quickly put into the chicken wing as well. The audience chant for Landers, but he is unfortunately passed out. Jaden then leaves the ring and Jack's dad comes in to assist Jack, who's in the middle of the ring. He's passed out. And then Jaden, like the heel he is, he proceeds to jump back into the ring. He grabs Dan and puts him in the chicken wing as well. Poor old Dan is laid out on the canvas. 
So even Jack's own mother has to get involved. Joe tells Jaden to leave as she protects her own. Jack comes around and grabs the microphone and tells Craig not to leave and cuts a promo on Scar and reissues the challenge for Linsport. Jaden accepts and the match is now official. The match itself, Jaden versus Robbie, was a lot like the previous match in terms of the story beats it had to hit and it worked pretty well. We've now established the character that is Jaden Scar going forward and moving forward. There's a sense of danger. There's also his overly arrogant and self-interested character as well and it's not to be looked over because we've now got the new edition of the cross-face chicken wing and this is something that all superstars need to be wary of it's sudden it's vicious and it took three men out tonight so to me the Jaden scar character is still forming you can still see the foundations beginning to build I'm not 100% sure about Robbie coming out and being stone-faced for his entrance. I get the idea. He was attacked by Jaden at Watlington. And, you know, when Jaden stabbed everyone in the back, including Robbie himself. But I think maybe he could have waited to get into the ring to be then serious when he come face-to-face with Jaden Scar. Because normally Robbie comes out and he's really overly exuberant and self-confident in the ring. And this was... This was not his usual outing. The match itself was really quite simple, but I thought quite effective as well. Jaden was always quite good as a babyface. He knew how to get himself over. I just hope that he can take that experience and, and flip it and translate it into this heel run now and taking the chance to, to put her other guys over as they did with him. Good bout. Good storytelling and good booking for Linsport. I can't wait for this Jack and Jaden match. Jimmy, over to you, sir. Yeah, it was good. It was a good story. Craig's really getting over. He needed this. This is what I was talking about, about needing that promo time and needing a little bit of time and him, his and Jack's story, needing just that little bit more seasoning and just that last bit of glue to, to hold things together. That was very important on this show that we got that over. And I think that Jack and Jaden did a good job getting Dan involved, Jack's dad, and getting Joe involved, you know, only makes the issue more personal. The match with Robbie, I thought that was a quite a good, quite a good match, really. I mean, again, Robbie's not been doing it for very long, and he's in there with Jaden. The crowd like him; he's getting a decent bit of a shine in. Jaden gave him some stuff, which is good, you know. Jaden's still a heel, heel, so people want want to see him get smashed up. But again, you can't smash him up too much because we've got Linsport on on Saturday, so. He can't take too much of a beating. He can't look too weak. And I think they got the balance just right there. I think one thing I will say to Robbie as well is like, he does a lot of talking in the ring and sometimes it's not quite loud enough. Like he says stuff that is good and the verbiage is good, but it's not loud enough. I can't remember. There's quite a few things he said during the match that wasn't calling a spot or anything like that. It was actually working just the match. He was saying stuff to to Jaden that probably would have got the crowd more on his side. Just couldn't quite hear him. So Robbie, speak up when you're, if you're about to hit someone with a clothesline, you're going to go, I'm going to take your head off. Do you know what I mean? Don't say it under your voice. Say it loud. Say it big. You've got something to say. Again, wrestling isn't about subtlety. It's about making sure that the crowd here and they know what's going on and it fits in with the story. If it doesn't get over, never mind. It's better than the crowd not hearing anything that you say. But as for as for Robbie's performance, the stuff he did was good. He's learning. He's learning about the timing. He's one of those guys who's got a bit of natural charisma. People like him. He's a good person for Jaden to get some heat on. Jaden's doing really, really well with getting the crowd to dislike him. He's like, you know, all that sort of saying, the palm of my hand and stuff like that. Another thing that people hate, arrogance, like real supreme arrogance. 
that's a really good trait for a heel to have. And that's what, what Jaden's going for, that opportunistic, vicious arrogance. And that's a good trait for a heel to have. And the segment was good with Jack. Again, the promo just at the end, just a little bit. Obviously, his dad's just been choked out. I know he's trying to show the emotion. I get it. I know how you are, you, you're supposed to feel. And I understand it all. One thing that you just need to do is just show the crowd and let the crowd know that, that you know, just slow your verbiage down. Keep that mic away a little bit from your face and just talk slow so the crowd can hear, you know. But other than that, it was cool, man. It was good. It was a good segment. Built up the match well. Put a full stop on that little bit there. Match is sorted. There we go. Yeah, because we had two singles matches, didn't we? We had uh, Jack going over on JJ. That that bolsters Jack there. He's obviously just come back from an injury. He's had all these uh, trials and tribulations to overcome with with his former tag team partner stabbing him in the back. And then Jack gets to issue the challenge, which is really, really good. And then on the flip side, you've got Jaden coming back as this new character. This is the first time that he's wrestled as this new vicious heel, this arrogant heel. He gets a big win as well. And then they get to have that confrontation back and forth. Jaden gets one up over. Over on him, you know, being the dastardly heel, attacking his family, really bringing in the the heart and soul of this match. And you know, when you think about this Westland show, as much as it was about Cali and Matt, and about Furio building up him, and about the the tag team TLC match, I think that this whole event was almost built, especially the 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 whole midsection was almost built around. We were really bolstering this match between Jack and Jaden, really telling that story, getting people involved, getting that that heart and soul in there, and and the viciousness of of Jaden Scar, and just a uh, just the the heart and desire and, and and want and need for Jack to get his his revenge on his friend who stabbed him in the back, and there's just so much going on in this match and so much emotion. I don't know what's going to happen at Linsport, but I'm excited to see it, and I can't wait. And it's just a week away, Jimmy. Are you excited about it? I'm really excited about it, mate. It's, I'm I'm very excited about it. Like I said, excited, nervous, slash scared. Simple as that, really. But we know we've got five other matches as well, and they're going to go out there and kill it. You know, when we're, when we're all said and done, we're in, we're in pieces, and we can put ourselves back together after that tag team TLC match. There's going to be a heck of a lot of matches uh, to watch that are going to be very entertaining as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it'll be cool. It'll be cool as fuck. I know it will. It'll work. It'll work out good. Everyone's got their spot. Every match is going to be different. We'll announce the other two matches in the next couple of days or maybe the next day or two. I won't announce it on the podcast. We'll keep it as a, you know, I think people know who the four guys are who are left. So, but, you know, we'll we'll make sure that there's two extra matches so that we've got our six. And yeah, it's going to be like the three ring circus. People are going to enjoy at least one aspect of it, I hope. I really do hope so. I hope they enjoy all six aspects of it. But moving on to match number five at West Lynn, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. We had the Falling Star Wrestling Limitless Champion, the newly crowned champion Furio, and he was going up against the Sassy Bear Clarence. Now Furio comes to the ring, and it seems like the audience have quick forgotten about them cheering him against Brett a few weeks back. They're chanting at him, where's your belt? Where's your title? And, you know, I, I feel like a broken record sometimes when I talk about Furio, when I talk about Sassy, but... 
I, I love these guys. These are great. And especially for Sassy, he always gets a massive reaction when his music hits. The fans jump to their feet. They sway their arms. They jump up in the air. The boy is over as Rover. And it's something I love to see each and every time. Now, in terms of the match, Furio kicks off the bout with a slap to the face. But Sassy soon enough gives him one of his own and then decks him with a tackle, a slam, and then a sunset flip for an early two count. Sassy then shows his strength by catching Furio, flings him overhead with a fall away slam. But Furio, the wily vet, the strong vampire, doesn't stay down for long and then manages to take advantage with a series of kicks and then takes Sassy to the mat and slows down the pace. But as quick as a peck on the cheek, Sassy's back in action and it's the back and forth between the vampire and the grizzly bear. The bear almost comes out on top with a stiff slap to Furio, but Furio is one step ahead of Clarence and spits his bile into the eyes of Clarence. However... In previous events, Furio's managed to get away with this. This time, the referee was in the right position to catch the vampire in the act, and the referee calls for the bell. Uh, the match ends in a disqualification. Furio then follows up this with rage and further mist to the eyes of Sassy Bear. Furio was almost foiled this evening by Clarence, and maybe he's looking too far ahead as he as he goes towards Linsport against Johnny Storm for the Limitless title. He maybe looked too far ahead and didn't take Sassy as a as, as a willing competitor. The match, another good out for both guys. I think everybody expected Furio to run over Sassy Bear, but it would seem that Furio has yet to get a really clean, decisive win over Clarence. Clarence and you know he always has to resort to underhanded tactics whether it's cheating behind the back he's got the mist and he's doing all these sort of things and this mist comes out of nowhere but I don't know if this is the best match they've had yet but I thought it was paced correctly and it gave Furio and Sassy plenty to chew on because Clarence is just a massive fan favorite with Falling Star Wrestling and and Furio he, he's just getting his his kind of feet underneath him again now that he's got this Falling Star Wrestling Limitless Championship and uh, what he's going to do with that whether he successfully defends it at Linsport or whether we have another new champion in Johnny Storm that remains to be seen but we'll find out on Saturday, the 22nd of October at Linsport. Hi, the Tiger. Jimmy Starr, over to you, sir. Yeah, it was a good match, man. I enjoyed it. I had a nice flow to it. Like you say, maybe Furio did overlook Clarence a little bit, but obviously you should never overlook Clarence. His presentation is fantastic. The crowd love him. They've got their sassy bear chants. Um, everyone in the crowd are waving as he's coming out. People are enjoying it. I think that he's great. And he will be involved in Linsport in some capacity. So, you know, it, it's it was a good match. It was a good singles match. It ended in a disqualification. So storyline-wise, Furio felt that he, he he couldn't take Sassy down as he, easily as he wanted to. So, yeah, he resorted to spitting a very pale green mist in his face. I think the main aim for Furio with that one was to not hurt himself, to make sure that he is fit for one of the best lightweights in the world, which is Johnny Storm. He's got to defend his limitless title against Johnny Storm on Saturday at Eye of the Tiger. I think that's going to be an absolute cracker. I don't know what to expect from that one, but I know it will be very good. And Furio definitely won't be taking that match lightly because it's Johnny Storm. And, you know, Johnny Storm is, is a legend of the British wrestling circuit and he still can go. He still can really go. And it's going to be... Not only a fast-paced, high-tempo match, but you know what wrestling's like. It's like a human game of chess, and you've got two really experienced chess players in there. Furio normally banks on the fact that he's one of the most experienced in the ring, but actually, in this particular case, he's not by quite a large margin. So it'll be very interesting to see Furio's skills put to the test to see if he can get through Johnny Storm. 
Indeed, then we had our main event of the evening at the Wesleyan Sports and Social Club, the Go Home Show for Eye of the Tiger. This one was stacked. This was an eight-person tag team match. We had the Dark Wolf, Matt Walters, and he was with The Sound, Bobby Adams, George Rashwood, and Brody Knox, versus the team of the Disaster Artists, PVC and Jimmy Starr. We had Nix and the Black Rose, Callie Gray. Now, this match had a lot of moving parts and also a debut in a wrestling match by Brody Knox and also a, a kind of re-debut by Nix. Older fans might have recognized the Green Lady as the Slytherin snake Ashley Stark. Uh, here at West Lynn, we're seeing a, a slightly new characterization, but we know very little of her, but I'm sure we'll know more as the, uh, the months unfold. The match was mainly built around having kind of a bit of a teaser for the main event of Lynn Sport with Matt and Callie in the same match. But as you mentioned in, in, in the kickoff of this podcast, not giving too much away. Hopefully we gave the fans at Westland just enough that they're going to be absolutely pumped for the main event at Eye of the Tiger. And because there was eight people in the match, the match was actually quite fast paced. There was, there was no real rest holds or chances for the audience to breathe. And I think it had a, a real impact and a real main event feel. There were thrills, spills, fighting, stories and a whole lot of animosity between the two main eventers, Matt and Callie. In terms of the match, the match started off with Callie Gray taking on Bobby Adams. Both men wrestled around but kept the tempo high with Callie finishing the spot with a dropkick to the face of Adams and then came in Nix who worked over Adams' face as well with boots and smashes into all three corner turnbuckle pads. Next up came Jimmy Starr who was greeted in the ring by the grease ball himself, Rashwood. Jimmy got the upper hand by landing punches. Nice ones, I thought as well. Headbutts and a crossbody. And then came PVC. The disaster artist worked over Rashwood with a back elbow, leg drop, splash combo. And then Rashwood had enough and tagged in the number one contender, Matt Walters. Me and Matt are in the ring. Matt gets in the boot, grabs a headlock, goes for a tackle. I follow this up with a spinning elbow and then work him in the corner. But as soon as I have the advantage over the Dark Wolf, he grabs my eyes, wallops me in the back of the head and smashes me down to the canvas with a neck breaker. And the heat is on. The heels cheat and I do everything I can to get the tag. But the ring is cut off by the sound and Walters eventually... I get a boot into Rashwood's greasy head, then nail a bulldog and clothesline combo on the sound, then kick Adams right in the face with an enziguri and make the hot tag to Cali Gray. Adams tags in Matt, the uh, the two number one contenders, scrap it out in the middle of the ring, doing that hockey fight stuff, just walloping the crap out of each other, really giving us a taste of what we're going to see at Eye of the Tiger. And the uh, the pair go back and forth. Cali hits a round of offense and does a sweet cannonball somersault onto all three men on the outside. And then it's finisher main. Bobby hits a backstabber, Jimmy nails a star KO, and then is dashed with a running knee from Rashwood, who turns around into a TKO from yours truly. Then Brody Knox steps up to the plate and slaps me around the face, but is then welcomed to the business with a boot from Nix. Matt then slides into the ring and nails me with a jumping head kick. Finally, Adams and Callie Gray are the legal men. Callie nails dead-eye Bobby Adams with a double underhook pile driver, and the team of Callie Gray, Nix, and the disaster artist rule the room on this particular match and all four people have a massive boost in momentum heading into Eye of the Tiger on the 22nd. The night ends with some choice words between the Linsport main event pair with Matt claiming that Callie has awoken the real Dark Wolf and Callie are retaliating that he's happy that he managed to bring that side of Matt Waters out. There's nothing more that can be said and there's nothing more that can be done. We just need to wait until Linsport to see these guys duke it out for the biggest prize in Falling Star Wrestling the Falling Star 
Star Wrestling Championship. Now, I've just watched the match back myself. I don't normally do that. I normally just kind of go for the review from what I remember from the match because I normally remember all the spots. But I fancied watching it back because, uh, you know, there was a lot I missed out there because I was, you know, in the heat and I got, I got knocked out earlier on. But yeah, I thought it was a decent match. I thought it was nice and fast-paced. It was a good main event match. I wish I wasn't so gassed and had a little bit more time to sell, but it wasn't those types of matches. It wasn't a case of, you know, the heels beating me up and then taking time to glow. It was just bish, bash, bosh, get me in there, snapmare, kick to the back and then pin. I kick out. They take me to the corner. The heels cheat. We get a little bit of, you know, a heat going on there and then boom, we go into the hot tag and then it's bish, bash, bosh with all the finishes. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I'm happy I didn't need to get the audience behind me because I had my cheerleaders on the apron, especially you, Jimmy. You did a stellar job running up and down that apron, trying to get the crowd, getting the PVC chants going. And yeah, I think I think positionally, into, you know, if we're going to kind of critique the match, I think there are a few moments where we, where we all could have done better. And sometimes, you know, when, when you've got too many baby faces trying to get into the ring at once, you know, when the heels are doing their dastardly tactics and one of the baby faces comes into the ring and gets blocked off by the referee, but then you've got two other baby faces kind of circulating around the referee and the referee can't handle everyone at once and you just have to either go in there and have a fight or you you just have to kind of like face up against the the heel kind of looks a little bit awkward i think maybe we could have peeled that back a little bit you know less chaos looks a bit weird but you know should we ever do another eight person tag team match i think that's something we'll probably keep in mind other than that i think everyone had a chance to shine even if it was just a small bit at the start but you know, when you have eight people out there trying to get their stuff in, you sometimes have to concede. You know, there's only a few moves in and out and, you know, you have to be on the sidelines for a lot of the match. I was only heavily featured because I was taking the heat. Otherwise, I would have been cheerleading with the rest of my team. I guess my final feelings on the match is it wasn't a complete cluster fudge. It could have easily have been, but I thought it was pretty well planned out. I think the right result happened because it really gives Cali a boost into Linsport, gives us a boost too going into the TLC match. And it also gives Matt and the Sound a reason to be pissed off walking into Linsport. I think in hindsight, I think it could have been maybe a six-man tag match, you know, with the introduction of Nix and Brody not really bringing too much to the match or the story. But I liked having them there and it was something new, something different for the fans to chew on. It's just a shame that Brody Knox ended up having to get her head glued back together but she took it like an absolute trooper so props to you Brody and she could be possibly the X factor in this TLC match this Saturday it, it's, it's clear Brody is clearly willing to bleed for the sound so will she be willing to put her body in harm's way to help out Adams and Rashwood I hope for our sake me and you Jim and hers, she won't be doing that and getting herself involved when there's tables, ladders and chairs around. But, you know, that remains to be seen and we'll find out on Saturday. Jimmy Starr, what, what are your thoughts on this match, uh, this main event? Yeah, I thought it was really good. You know, it's difficult to gauge it when you're in it. Um, but watching it back, like you, I, I watched it back and it's a sum of all parts, really. The aim of the match was to get more interest in Cali and Matt's main event. And I think we did that. Sometimes when you're a professional wrestler, you have to go in there and do a job. And our job was to put more focus on the main event, whilst also creating quite an exciting main event for the people there. Now, when there's eight people in a match, you're not going to get to do very much. Like you said, you took the heat, so you probably did more than most, but you're not going to get to do very much the people who need to shine in it, and Matt and Callie, we've got our match sorted. You know, Nick's is making her sort of debut. 
Brody's there with, with the sound to be a part of the, the team and, and show willing and show that she's willing to take some knocks for her team. They're a unit and stuff like that. We were there to make people cheer, make people happy and give them a fast-paced match. The match, once it started, it shouldn't have been slow. There's no excuse for it to be slow. Even if we were eight of the unfittest people in the world, we should still be able to keep a, a match like that going for, for 20 minutes or 15 minutes like we did. You know, at the end of the day, it gives a chance for the fans that are paid to see on that night, see all the wrestlers that they like, but it also doesn't completely sort of overwhelm them and, and make it again, make them think, why should I come to Eye of the Tiger? It makes them think that I need to get to Eye of the Tiger to see whichever match I'm interested in or all the matches. It's an advertisement. It's like a little taster. It's like when you go around a supermarket sometimes and they've got a little bit of cheese and something on a stick and they say, try that. And you think, oh, fuck, yeah, I like that. And then you go and buy the big block of cheese that they just fucking, you know, gave you for free. It's the taster, but still providing a good quality main event for people to enjoy. And again, it's just, it's just, it's just a bit of chaos. But I also think that we gave them a match, even though it was chaos, it was the story was there. People could follow it. It had all the things that an eight-man tag match should have. It had the shotgun finishes, some decent heat. You know, like you said, we could have been a little bit tighter with the referee. The referee can't monitor four or five people going in. It's just one of those things where next time we'd know that, we just one of us could go in and try and cause a bit of chaos. The referee can sort that out. But it's all a learning experience. But as an eight-man tag, I think that's one of the better ones, probably the best one that I've been involved with. And I've had a lot of them. But normally eight-man tags are something that you stick at the end of the show with people who've already wrestled so they don't get too much of a chance to get together and, and actually sort of work bits out, which we did. It had its focus, which was Matt and Callie. We got that over again with Callie. Just, it was a great promo, but it was long. And towards the end, the emotion overbroad him and the the growling started happening. The microphone was too close to the face. And I couldn't, if I was out there and I couldn't quite hear the last bit again, I understood it sort of, but it's just a little bit of mic work needed for promos when if you're going to start shouting and get excited, you need to still keep that pace of and that cadence of talking going where people can understand it. Because I know what it's like when you, in, if in real life, if you're mad and get in an argument, you know, you do hear people shrieking and talking fast and fucking screaming and going mad and growling at each other and, you know, just going ballistic and fucking crying and hollering and hooting. But unfortunately, that doesn't get over as well on a wrestling promo. They can feel the emotion, but they can't hear the words. And the idea is is to make them make them do both, but that's only a, a very minor minor sort of thing. Other than that, the match was the match was good. It was it was a good good main event, and it capped off the show nicely. And people must have been interested in it because we sold quite a lot of tickets on the night for the show, and the tickets are going nicely. So I hope that people enjoyed it, and I hope that if there were people there who who weren't planning on going on in sport. I hope it's converted them and I hope that they'll they'll make their way there, there on Saturday because it's going to be one fucking cracker of a show. And that show was very difficult to book, but we got there. And if you're looking at that sort of eight-man tag at the end and you're thinking, it's a bit confusing, it's a bit clustered, it's a bit this, but you're also thinking, oh, I want to fucking match two and I want to do a little bit of this and I want to blast off the ring rust. I ain't going to get a chance to do this. So sometimes you just got to override it and say, no, I'm here to do a job. This is the job and the job in hand tonight for me is quite easy. I've just got to do my bit well and hope that 
the rest of the match gets over. And it did. It worked. And I was pleased. I was pleased with all the matches. I was pleased with how everything flowed, really. And it got over the the storylines and the points and the punctuation marks and the full stops of what was needed for either Tiger and to settle the matches. So, yeah, really good. Really pleased with the show in general. Really pleased with everyone involved. I think it was great. And I think hopefully Saturday's, I think Saturday's going to be great too. So, you know, just make sure you guys... Make your way down there, book your tickets. You can book them from Linsport. You can book them on Skiddle, online, and you can also message Fallen Star Wrestling and one of us will get back to you and we can either reserve tickets for you or sort something out somewhere or other. But there's various different ways of getting tickets. Just just check out FSW on Facebook and there's posters there, all the information's there, some great graphics there. Matthew Harrison who's behind the scenes. He's the guy who you see with the camera walking around the ring. He's he's not just the cameraman, the photographer. He does so much for Fallen Star Wrestling. And if Isle of the Tiger is a success on Saturday, it's it's a lot of it's down to him because he's done so much work for this. Really pleased, really proud. And if the show does succeed on Saturday, it really is going to be a team effort. So, yeah, let's fucking go into it all guns blazing and give you guys, the fans the best show that we can possibly give you. That's right, Jim. Now, if you're a fan of Falling Star Wrestling or just a fan of professional wrestling, Eye of the Tiger is a show that you do not want to miss. Now, thanks for checking out the Falling Star Wrestling podcast today. Your support means the world. If you want to show further support for the podcast, please find us on your preferred podcast app and drop us a little five-star rating. Cheers. Thanks also to Jim for joining me once again this week and, of course, joining me for the eight-man tag team war that we will be heading into at Lynn Sport. If we walk away as tag team champions on Saturday... I'll be a very, very happy man. However, if we somehow fall short, let's just make sure that we walk out of that arena under our own strength. The titles mean the world, but our health is paramount. Speaking of Linsport, do you have your tickets yet? If not, why? Surely you don't have anything better to do on a Saturday night. We've got six killer matches, three titles on the line, and one action-packed show from top to bottom. It's going to be off the hook for more information or tickets head to our facebook page it's at falling star wrestling we can also be found on instagram too if you're looking to book your tickets just send us a direct message and we can get them sorted for you thanks again for listening and we'll see you saturday for eye of the tiger (laughs) 